Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Fizz Radio is back in your life on this game day for Syracuse basketball against who else but Georgetown Gilgros and Ian Unsworth with you for the next hour. Ian, oh boy, uh, this needs to be a good performance for Syracuse. It really feels that way because after the layoff and the Pittsburgh loss, which was just a brutal, brutal loss, it's going to be an important one for the Orange. So let's just go back to what we saw on on Wednesday because the Orange had an 18-point lead there. And whatever happened, whatever happened where the Panthers were able to come back and Syracuse squandered that lead, that needs to be dissected because that is a brutal, brutal loss against a Pittsburgh team without their best player, Justin Champagne. Yeah, Justin Champagne led the Panthers in both scoring and rebounding. And Syracuse lost, obviously, the scoring battle, but the rebounding battle, too. 49-33, to 16 rebounds was the difference in this game. Pitt had 20 offensive rebounds. 20 offensive rebounds. That is a ridiculous number for a team without its most reliable rebounder and really no inside force. One of Pitt's big men was out because of, I believe, contact tracing protocols. John Hewley, he was he was out. He was like their main post guy. He They would feed it to him down low. So Pitt is pretty much playing four guards and one forward, and they have one forward off the bench. They're, like I don't understand how the Pitt guards managed to be so effective on the offensive glass, but... I guess we can let's let's throw a couple stabs at it here, Gil. First things first, Quincy Garrier only played 17 minutes. That had to have a big impact on the boards. A hundred percent it did, and and this is Garrier in foul trouble. And last year, Quincy had one of the worst foul rates in the country. It was at times pathetic. Yeah, you know, Quincy would go into the game and he would pick up three, four personal fouls in. 15 minutes. That was the norm last year for Gary. And we just hadn't seen that this year. He'd been really good, very disciplined. And that's why every game you had a consistent Gary. He scored uh, double digits in every single game until this one when he had three points and was only out on the floor for 17 minutes. Yeah. Dolajai needs help on the glass. If Sidibe is going to be out, Dolajai needs help, and Quincy's his guy from the forward position to really give him those reinforcements. And we also have to remember, Gary is the third leading scorer in the ACC. He's averaging around 18 a game. That is needed production on this Syracuse side. It's the only real inside production they have. Dolajai, I mean, he just hasn't really scored that much this year, only nine points against Pitt, and you know, he, he's had a couple of double-digit games, but we don't expect Marek Dolzhai to take over. There, We never expect that. Garrier takes over games, especially when Syracuse is down. Early in the second half, I was expecting the Quincy Garrier spark that he provided against Bryant in the first game of the season, that he provided against uh, Buffalo running up and down the floor in transition, against Rutgers as well when Syracuse was down early in the second half. 
Garrier and Alan Griffin were the motor that powered the Orange back into the game. I just didn't get that today. The fouls obviously were the main culprit, but he only took two shots. You have to command the ball more. I was very, very annoyed at the end of the game, down the stretch, that Garrier wasn't getting offensive touches when Syracuse came down the floor over and over and over again. And it's like, hello, use your best guy. You know, and it's time that I think that everyone came around to that reality, especially after the Buffalo game. The best player on Syracuse is Quincy Garrier. We saw that in this game because when Garrier was gone, heck, it looked like the team was gone. It looked like you didn't have a team. It's a bad pit team without four very important pieces in their lineup. And Syracuse blew an 18-point lead. That is horrific. And here's the thing with Garrier. We are pointing out the essential reason why Syracuse lost this game is that they didn't have the Quincy Garrier that they're used to having that's been showing up game in and game out. But he's allowed. No one's going to no one's going to deliver that kind of consistency. No one's going to have their A game every night. Quincy was due for this. This was a C game, a D game for Quincy Garrier. That's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. That's going to happen. You got to overcome it. You still got to win the basketball game against a Pittsburgh team. Yes, and I'm with you. And if we look down the box score, we can see the reason why Syracuse didn't win this basketball game. Joe Girard III, 3 for 11 from the field, 2 of 8 from 3, and Buddy Bayheim 3 of 12 from the field and 2 of 10 from 3. Gil, I think everybody in the 315 has been pointing at Joe Girard for a while now saying, hey man, you got to step it up. You have to step it up. But Buddy Bayheim, I think, is flying under the radar, I guess you could say, as a player who's underperforming this season. 100% he is. And I mean, all you got to look at is his three-point percentage is 24%. And that's his game. And I, I'd actually say that beyond the three-point shooting... If you look at his stat lines, there's been a couple games where it's kind of been impressive because you look at it and it's, oh, well, Buddy didn't have the three-point shot. Hey, look, he still dropped 17, or he still managed 15 points. And you're kind of like, oh, I'll take that. But now it's becoming now it's becoming a pattern where Buddy Beheim not having the three-ball rolling and the stroke firing, that's becoming the norm. That has to end. I mean, to me, Beheim deserves the benefit of the doubt. This is someone who averaged well over 15 points per game last season in the ACC. But, and he's been through, like, what, two, three quarantine periods now? Right, exactly. So he deserves the benefit of the doubt. He doesn't have someone behind him like Joe Girard has Kadari Richmond that might be a better option. So he has to stay out there. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, why isn't Buddy getting pulled out of the game? Why isn't he getting pulled? For who? Who occupies Buddy Beheim's role? Nobody. But yes, Ian, absolutely, he needs to be better. It's it's too many games now. If you take away that Boston College performance, he's been abysmal from three-point range. Yeah, and I mean, against Buffalo, too, he scored 22 points, but that was on 24 shots. The volume is just way too much for me, and I know... The, the whole thing about shooters is you shoot yourself out of a slump. If you're not if you're not having a hot a hot game or a hot couple of games, you just keep chucking them because eventually they're going to go in. 
but it like tonight if it's not the night it's not the night and you have to figure that out early on because when we look at these disparities 11 and 12 shots for dudes that are shooting under 35% from the field to two shots to your best player the third leading scorer in the ACC whose energy makes your team go there's a real issue there, and I don't know if that's the players not realizing that. I don't know if it's Jim Beheim not realizing that or his assistants, but someone has to realize, and it can't be us, Gil. It has to be someone with a bit more clout, that Quincy Garrier is the best player on this Orange team, and he needs the ball in crunch time. And he didn't get it. Let's dissect the last minute of this game in a moment. Gil Gross, Ian Unsworth on Fizz Radio. Make sure you're checking out our stuff, orangefizz.net, for all of uh, our reactions and analysis with the state of Syracuse basketball coming off um, a home ACC loss against Pittsburgh at 6-2 and two right now. Um, Syracuse blows the 18-point lead in, but it's looking like maybe the Orange are going to steal another just like they did against Northeastern, just like they did against Bryant, just like they did against Buffalo. It looked like that was a possibility. The last minute of this game was a bungle. It was a total botch. There were so many met, there were so many mistakes. The first being the offense. Not only did Quincy Garrier not get his touches, but it, it was hero ball. There's no way around it. Alan Griffin took two shots with under a minute and a half to go. One of them happened to go in. The second one didn't. Both were just isolation threes, yeah, not in rhythm, long right? Long threes, chucking them up, chucking them up. It, it just not, not smart shots. Not smart shots. And last year we saw Elijah Hughes do the same sort of thing, but he's allowed that sort of levity because he's scoring 17, 18, 19 points a game. It, it just makes sense to give your star player that room. Alan Griffin's not the star yet. And yes, he had the big block. He made another big block tonight. It was cool. But if you hit one, you don't heat check with a minute 30 left. You just don't. And I like the confidence, but you got to run some offense. And the offense, as you said, Gil, that was the main missing point. Speaking of offense, can we talk about that inbounds play? That inbounds play to end the game was horrific. <laughs> yeah, obviously, and this is kind of inexcusable. It's really, it's really not good, but obviously players were confused coming out of that timeout, and they didn't really understand where they were supposed to be. I mean, poor Marek has the ball. Syracuse has no timeouts, and nobody's open, and nobody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Pretty, pretty awful. Not good. I, it's, I, you gotta have an inbounds play to get somebody open. Yeah, but I don't it think didn't... I don't think the inbounds play, uh, whatever was drawn up, I don't think that's what happened. Uh, I think, oh certainly not. Right, so you almost have to, you know, I guess um, Jim Beheim got let off a little bit easy after the game because no one, no one really forced Beheim to explain himself. Other than I mean, he did comment on the play. He said nobody got open, but. I guess after what Marek said, if Marek went first, because he spoke to the media after the game, Marek said everyone was confused. If Marek went first and then Beheim uh, was speaking, and then you know maybe someone could have asked, hey, why was everyone confused? Maybe that would have played out a little bit better. But for now, all we know is, is it didn't work. I was also 
not happy that Kadari Richmond wasn't on the floor for the defensive possession with Syracuse up one point. I thought that was the third mistake. So now we've done three. We've done the Allen Griffin shot selection and stilted offense. Then we we've done the inbounds play, which is total butchery. The third thing is the defensive possession with Syracuse up one point and um, needing a a defensive stop. And Mm -hmm. you know that there's going to be a timeout. This is out of a stoppage. You know that you're going to take a timeout if you get the ball. And it was Gerard and Beheim at the top of the 2-3 zone. Why? Richmond's your best defender. He should be out there for, for that defensive possession. And what happens? Joe Gerard lets his man blow by. That opens up the kick out. Buddy Beheim is late on the rotation. Now, the guy missed the three, and then it was the tip-in uh, that put Pittsburgh up. But yeah. to me, you know, if you have Richmond out there, maybe the drive is stymied, or maybe the rotation is earlier and you can stop the three ball. Yeah, I'm with you. This was a pattern the whole second half. Pitt got into the middle of the zone just extremely easily whether it was like the bounce pass to tony he'd hit that little turnaround jumper or it was just the drive and there the the adjustments were not there i think if we're going to kind of sum this up the adjustments were not there the defense was lackadaisical the effort was i would say pretty bad on both sides and the offense just it it lacked any sort of creativity and it lacked organization. And I think those two those two things are like almost on the opposite ends of the spectrum when we're talking basketball offense. You can either kind of run it like isolation, one-on-one playground style, or you can have a lot of strict sets. We know Bayheim leans towards like isolation ball, but come on, man. It, it, at a certain point, I, I know Bayheim's not looking at the box score in the middle of the game, but you just have to have the feel. I talked about this earlier, like the feel of, Hey, my shot's not going in. I got to pass it up. And still throughout the second half, it was Gerard just hucking threes. Bayheim got some up too. It's mainly it's mainly Gerard's like early early shot clock threes. I can't handle those. But <laughs> let just to sum this up, I think put it in one word. I would just I would call it I would just um, an organizational failure <laughs> on the part of Syracuse basketball. Oh, boy. All right. Well, um, let's try to put the disastrous pit loss behind us. Look ahead to Georgetown. Plenty of things to talk about after the break from Syracuse's rotation, the return of Barama Sidibe, and do the Orange need to shoot less threes? Fizz Radio, back after this. Back on Fizz Radio here on the Score 1260, Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth with you. Uh, Coming up a little bit later, we're talking to someone who knows Georgetown like the back of his hand, Kareem Copeland, who covers the Hoyas for the Washington Post. Get to know Syracuse's opponent, 8 p.m. tip tonight, SU versus Georgetown in the Dome. Ian, let's get into some rotational stuff, kind of something interesting. Uh, It was almost the Robert Braswell game. That almost happened. He he hit four threes against uh, George, uh, excuse me, against uh, Pittsburgh and played in front of Woody Newton. My read on this is that we shouldn't really expect to to see that moving forward. And my understanding is that Woody Newton uh, just was in COVID protocol in, in isolation. 
so couldn't do those one-on-one workouts that a lot of the Syracuse players were doing, and that is the only reason for that personnel uh, rotation switch. Yeah, I'm with you. Beheim said exactly that. Isolation after the game for Woody Newton. Uh, Woody himself actually went on Instagram Live, too, actually, and he said he wasn't stressing about the loss. He seemed pretty relaxed. He was just driving around bumping music. So he seemed pretty chill after the game. It didn't seem like his lack of playing time was, you know, getting on his nerves at all. And I think I think Woody Newton is one of those players that he's going to move forward. He seems to love playing the game of basketball and just, like, being energetic out on the court. So... I'm not really worried about Newton, but I wrote an article on uh, the site at orangefizz.net or on Twitter at orangefizz, wondering why Robert Braswell hasn't really made the strides that we've seen other players make in the past couple of years in the Syracuse system, and I guess he proved me wrong on Wednesday. I mean, the threes certainly were impressive. It, It was the same kind of story where he got the ball and jacked it up, but it went in. I can't question that. I can't question that, especially when you make three in a row. And it was like three possessions in a row, too. It was like bang, bang, bang early in the second half. So, I mean, it's impressive that he comes out and hits shots after barely playing a lick for the last four or five games. But at the same time, he just doesn't provide what Woody Newton provides, which is that the length of Newton is better. The athleticism is better. Uh, I mean, other than like... Braswell dribbling the ball is, is I would say, a horse show. I don't like to see it at all. So I, I'm taking Newton this Saturday going into the Georgetown game, and I, I'd hope Beheim is too. Yeah, it's it's a no-brainer. And I don't think you're exaggerating calling Robert Braswell dribbling a, a horror show. Yeah, it's it, all he gives you is is catch and shoot. It, that's, that's really it. So uh, I— I, I find his effectiveness to be pretty limited. I, it was great to see, and I was in the Dome, and the Syracuse bench, I assure you, was more excited for Robert Braswell's threes than, you know, anything else that happened all game long. And that's long. the thing. You, you should, like, that should provide that your team some energy, right? That should, like, it got John Bolajac almost running on the court, but that energy just didn't carry through for the rest of the second half. So, I think I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we were talking about Gary earlier, giving them the boost. Braswell like gave them the boost, and they just didn't take it and run with it. It was weird because after Braswell's run of threes, you were like, "Okay, it's it's a win." That's that's how it really felt, and then and then it wasn't. Uh, we mentioned the the rebounding earlier in the show. The Orange getting dominated on the glass, twenty two to three in second chance points, and. Uh, this was a game that we thought, uh, the Pittsburgh game, we thought we'd see Barama Bay back. So now we hold our breath again. Uh, tonight against Georgetown, will Bay come back? Man, uh, the there was a setback. He practiced, he was practicing, and he felt soreness and discomfort in his knee. This has kind of been the story, unfortunately, throughout Barama Bay's career at Syracuse, where the knee just isn't cooperating and Every recovery period takes weeks longer than we think it will. Um, so we'll see what happens. But, I mean, this is, uh, this is essential. This is essential. And the most popular Syracuse debate, especially on OrangeFizz.net. Oh, Fizz. especially on Orange Fizz. Yes, was what should happen to the rotation once the eBay comes back. To me, the, the Pittsburgh game proved my point. I'm, I'm going to do a little victory lap. Dolzhai is not your five. 
Sidibe's your five. So if it's a question between Sidibe or Dolajai playing the primary minutes at the five, it, it has to be Barama, in my opinion. I think, and then I think you move Dolajai to the bench. Both Matt Bonaparte and I both agreed that the decision here is at the center spot, that you cannot sit Garriott, that you cannot sit Alan Griffin, and that you cannot sit Buddy Beheim. I'm with you, Gil. I think we, we discussed this last time we were on the air, and I think we were both in lockstep that Dolajai should head to the bench. And especially when we look towards towards tonight's tip-off, Georgetown has a real center. A guy named Kudus Wahab. Um, if Syracuse fans are familiar with that name, he was a target of the Orange recruiting uh well, the 2019, I believe it was, recruiting class. It wasn't like a heralded dude, but, you know, one of those late bloomers that Bayheim looks to pick up, for, you know, the late big men pick up at the last second, like he kind of did with Frank Anselm. And Wahab chose Georgetown over Syracuse. And I mean, not a bad choice for a big man. You're going to play for Patrick Ewing, of all people. And he's he's pretty much flourished. He's got 12.8 rebounds on the year, like averaging 12.8 rebounds on the year. This, this is not a game Syracuse goes into I guess, unlike Pitt, where they don't have a big man thinking, okay, we can get away with playing Dolajai, a not not a very physical player at the five, and sort of skate by barely rebounding or losing the rebounding battle. No, you need size. You need size against the Hoyas because next to Wahab, they have Jamarco Pickett, who's a legit 6'9", 6'10", wing, and plays exactly like Dolajai. So, Maybe against Georgetown, both of those guys go out there and start together against the zone. We'll see with how that all works. But against the Hoyas, you definitely need size. It's very scary, right? I mean, this Georgetown team is 3-7. and seven. This is not a good Hoyas team. No. And their defense is, is pretty abysmal. They blew a double-digit lead uh, at halftime to, to Villanova, ended up losing that game by 13. And that became a pattern ever since then. Blew a 10-point lead against uh, Marquette. Blew a double-digit lead at Butler. So th this defense is just collapsing over and over and over again. But it's almost like you hold your breath whenever you look at another team that has a competent big man. And as you, you point out, Georgetown certainly does in, in Quotus Wahab. And they also I have— mean, a... what, What's the answer here, Ian? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers, Gil, unfortunately, and I, I'm not sure. Ugh. I'm not sure anybody does right now, especially after watching what we saw on Wednesday when you lose the rebounding battle by a 16 to a team with no big man and without their leading rebounder as well. It just has to be a point of em it had to have been a point of emphasis in practice over the past couple days to crash the boards, to go after those you know the long rebounds from the threes, the the second chance tips, all that's like everything, uh, everything concerning rebounding has to be emphasized because Georgetown will out rebound Syracuse and will not blink an eye. If Sidibe is back, which we will cross our fingers tonight, I think it's going to be him, Dolajai, and Garrier for size purposes. And I think here's a here's an interesting one, but I think Joe Girard might finally find his way to the bench and Bayheim and Griffin start up top. Maybe Griffin takes the, takes over the primary ball handler responsibilities. Whoa, um, I don't. We don't have time. I can't get into that one with you. I think that's that's interesting. I don't agree, 
but we have to talk to Kareem Copeland. He covers Georgetown for the Washington Post after the break. Don't go anywhere on Fizz Radio. We only get the best at Fizz Radio, and that is why Kareem Copeland of the Washington Post does a great job covering Georgetown. Joins us now. Kareem, thanks for taking the time. Oh, no problem. Thanks for the compliment. Um, anytime. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Well, look, we love Syracuse, Georgetown. Uh, yep. Let's get right to it. Is this the worst Georgetown team Syracuse has faced in the Patrick Ewing era? In the Patrick Ewing era, that's a little tough to say. You know, that that the first year I think was a little bit rough. And, you know, obviously that's all that happens all the time when um, you know, when you've got a coaching transition. This is the issue is that they lost so many guys during the offseason between transfer, you know what? They had shoot, I've lost my numbers now. I do believe four guys transfer in December, three or four guys transfer in December and they lost Mac McClung and then Omer went to the um, NBA. So like, I think it was six out of their seven top scorers are all gone. And so they're bringing in new guys, new transfers, trying to work it out on the fly guys who were, you know, role players last year have, you know, are expected to do a whole lot more. Um, they brought in one transfer, Arkansas transfer, Jalen Harris to play point guard. He started the first five or so games, but then there's a family emergency somehow. We haven't gotten all the details on that, but he's left the team and there's no telling when he may come back. So now they're starting a freshman at point guard. So it's just, it's a lot going on over there. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely a transition year because they've got some pretty good recruits coming next year, but um this one's a little bit rough right now. What what has been the biggest impact in terms of losing the transfers like a James Akinjo or a Mac McClung who really led the offense last year for the Hoyas? Well, it's kind of weird because there were some they were all like kind of different scenarios. The guys who kind of left in December, there were there was some trouble that they kind of got into and and I don't think they felt supported by the university um, because they were kind of denying some of that stuff. And so everything kind of broke down from there. So that's where that stuff in December kind of started from, um, kind of, you know, off the field stuff. Mac McClung now, it, it's it's almost like it depends on who you talk to. So he's um, he's off doing his NBA workouts, right? He's testing the waters, but you can always come back as long as you don't sign an agent. So He's off doing his um, doing his thing, and Patrick has a interview. Can't remember who the interview with was, but they were asking about the team, asking about Mac, and he said, "Yes, he's coming back." And Mac was like, "Whoa, I haven't said that. I haven't, you know." And his his people were immediately like, "Yo, he hasn't confirmed that at all." And so all of a sudden, they get he got upset saying um his people his people said that the fact that patrick said he was coming back made it so nba guys were then changing their opinions of him you know they were they were not paying him the same amount of attention because they were like oh you're wasting our time because you're planning on going back anyways they say hey they were still making up their decision and so from that side it was kind of a they felt that Patrick put him in a bad position um, as far as him trying to find, um, you know, testing the NBA waters. 
Now, it seems like somewhere there was clearly some miscommunication between the two. Um, and so, and I think that might've been the tipping point for Mac, um, you know, as he was saying, he didn't even go to the league. He just transferred to Texas Tech, but it seemed like that might've broke the relationship right there. Um, now, was there more before that, you know, probably, you know, there was, so he also said, um, and this is what he said, you know, he, we all we always got to take things with a grain of salt, you know. Yeah. Um, so he was saying that NBA guys wanted to see him be more of a pure point guard. And he was saying that's not how he was used in Patrick's system. So he wanted to go somewhere where he could show off those skills. Now, if he said <laughs> It's hard for me to believe that if he sat down with Patrick and said, hey, you know, I'd like to do this a little bit more, especially in this year when you've lost so many guys and everything that's kind of gone on with the program, hard for me to believe that Patrick wouldn't have been a little bit, um, hey, we can work together with this. You know, talk, we're talking about your best player, your best, your top scorer. So you would think that they would be able to figure out a way to work that out. But um, like I said, it's, I think the I think the interview thing was kind of the straw that broke the cam camel's back on um, some previous issues that we probably don't all fully know. We're talking to Kareem Copeland, who covers Georgetown for the Washington Post. Yeah, losing Mac McClung, that to me, if you zoom out, it, it, that's a failure. You know, you don't you don't want something like that to happen, and it does feel like there's been a lot of tumult around the organization. Do you see that as a lot of misfortune or do you see that as uh, s some flaws in the program right now that, that things just aren't quite as reined in as they can be? Um, I think that they're figuring it out. You know, this is this is first time Patrick has run a college program um, and, and you got to give him some rope. You know, there's going there's going to be a little bit. There's going to be some mistakes made. And and, you know, if you're Georgetown. You know, it's Patrick Ewing. You got to give him some rope. <laughs> this, is, this, is your, your, this is your guy, you know, because um, somebody asked me that the other day. They said, you know, is he on thin ice? I said, I don't think so right now. You know, number one, um, you kind of got to understand where they were when he started. Um, you got to you got to assume or under, be understandable that there's going to be some growing pains. Um, you know, Patrick's a good guy. You know, it's not like. Um, you know, you, 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 some guys get fired and then you hear that, oh, he was a jerk behind the scenes and all these kind of other things. Um, I don't see any of those kind of issues. I, I think it's just kind of a patience to kind of let him find his way. And I think what happened with all those transfers last year was a bit of an anomaly. Um, we'll see moving forward. But um, I think that was a little bit of a glitch as opposed to, oh, there's some major issues with the program or, oh, Patrick might not be that guy. You know, he's got some um, high recruits coming in next year. And so there's a lot of optimism around that. And so um, there's kind of a hope that this year is just a little bit of a transition. Let some of these, and they've got some good recruits. I mean, the guy who's um, their point guard right now, Harris, um, Dante Harris, um, there's too many Harris's on the team. I had to make sure I was talking about the right guy. Um, so, so he's a freshman and he's been playing really well. 
you know, you just got to live, you know, you, you got to let him grow. Um, Jabari Sibley, he was their highest rated recruit, uh, four star. Um, he's getting very minimal play, but you're starting to see a little bit. He's starting to flash a little bit when he actually kind of gets some run. And, and Patrick talked about it the other day, said, you know, um, it, it seems like he's looking for a little bit more urgency in, pat, in practice. Because, you know, he didn't play those first couple games. And, you know, when your highest rated recruit doesn't play, everybody's like, uh-oh, what's wrong? And um, I think Patrick wants to see some things in, in practice before just kind of anointing the kid. Because, you know, he was the highest rated recruit of Patrick's time here yet. So um, everybody was kind of really excited about it and really wanted to kind of see. So um, I think I've got off topic a little bit. <laughs> but I don't All believe that's that's the crux i don't think there's a major problem in the program um i think it's one of those bump in the roads and you know a young coach learning some of the things that happen with a college program you know it's not the nba anymore it's not just only basketball there's all of these other things um i was actually talking to very randomly i was talking to mystics uh washington mystics coach today mike tebow and he was saying he was talking to some college coaches and he, and he's like, he doesn't understand how they even have any time to coach basketball because of there's, you know, between the grades and all those other things. And so it, that's just kind of an example of Patrick's got to learn those things. You know, he hadn't done that before. And so I just think there's some things with, you know, relationships with kids and, and, and just everything that goes into it that you gotta, that he just had to kind of figure out. And, um, and this is, and this year's, record seems to be like it's going to reflect um that bump in the road but i think there's some optimism about next year yeah i just saw uh ewing brought in his first five star recently aminu muhammad uh, yep. sh- shooting guard i believe yep yep yep, yeah. yep. they're so super that... excited about him um athletic um there i've actually having i'm still digging up tape on him myself but they're super excited about that, you know? So they're thinking you bring him in, you've got Jamari Sibley, who's going to be a sophomore next year. You'll have Harris who will be a sophomore next year. You know, some of these transfer guys, you know, you'll lose, you'll lose Pickett, you'll lose Javon Blair, um, um, Don Carey who transferred in. But at the same time, you know, you have Cutis Wahab who, if he doesn't go to the league, which I would expect him to be return, um, you know, he's, kind of growing into himself, you know, as a big man and under the tutelage of Patrick, he's what, he's averaging 12.3 points right now. That's 21st in the big East and he's leading the league in rebounds and is up there in blocks. So you would assume another year of progression for him, you know, you might, you would think he gets a little bit more comfortable on the offensive end. He's pretty good defensively already. So um you start to see those pieces and kind of see some of these young talent growing. Um, but sometimes there's a year like this where you got to wait for those guys to become who they're going to become. And, and, and like Patrick said the other day, you know, they did, they, some of their seniors need to step up. I mean, uh, Jamarco Pickett is, you know, is what you would want out of a wing basketball player. He's long, he's rangy. He can put it on the floor. He can work inside and out. But he's just been so damn in pardon my language, he's just been so inconsistent. You know, he's like, uh, I think the first, I think he was averaging like 14 points through the first five games. And then through the 
before last night, I think the previous three or four, he'd only scored, um, he topped out at eight. You know, you, you just needed him to be more aggressive. And he kind of was last night. You know, you got you got to have those guys who've got an experience to, you know, go for it. And, you know, him and Blair, your top two um, scorers, you need those guys to be aggressive. And sometimes he kind of fades away a little bit. And that's what Ewing was saying the other day was, um, or I guess well, that was two nights ago. What was that last night? It's starting to, these days are starting to blend in. Um, but he's like, we need our seniors to step up. You know, you can't ask these young guys to do everything. You know, you, it's, just, it's just too much for those guys. And it hasn't been completely awful. I mean, they were, they've been blowing double digit leads. They've led in all of these last um, losses. They were up in halftime against West Virginia, up at halftime against Villanova. Um, but they just can't, they can't close the door and they go these long stretches of just, I mean, quite frankly, really bad basketball. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> offensively, you know, they're one of the worst at what? Their turnover margin is 6.1, negative 6.1, which ranks 327 in the country. Like, they just turned the ball over way too much. They started um, two games ago. Their first four positions of the game, they had turnovers. So that's the biggest issue with them right now is just holding on to the ball and not just throwing it around and, and just being sloppy with it. So that's the biggest thing. And then they just kind of go on these long offensive stretches where they can't buy a basket. I mean – shooting 41.7%, which is last in the Big East, only scoring 71.7 points, which is number 10 in the Big East. You know, it's their assists. They're ranked number 10 in assists. It's just the offensive side of the floor, it needs a lot of work right now. Yeah, the, the Hoyas have blown two straight double-digit leads. Syracuse just blew an 18-point lead. Yeah. Someone's got to win on <laughs> – someone's got to win a little bit later today, Kareem. Anyway, we uh, we really appreciate you coming on Fizz Radio. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me. Uh, sorry, I tend to ramble sometimes. No problem. We appreciate, <laughs> no we appreciate your time. <laughs> no Fizz problem. feedback. Fizz feedback after this. Time for everyone's favorite segment on Fizz Radio, Fizz Feedback. Gil Gross and Ian Unsworth here. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us, and make sure to check out orangefizz.net for the best Syracuse web content on the internet. We're on Twitter, at orangefizz, and that's where we put these Fizz Feedback questions. All right, let's start. The first one, where are you on the panic meter after Syracuse's 63-60 to loss to Pitt? Zero, not worried at all. Three, slightly worried. Six, moderately worried. Or nine, extremely worried. Where do you think Fizz Nation is at with this? Well, I put this one out, and I made sure to not put 10 on there because 10 would be like absolutely losing our minds because the program just lost to a D3 school. Um, I'm going to go with six because I think that's where I am. I, I'm, not, I'm not happy with a lot of the stuff I saw in that second half. And it, it worries me because I don't think – I think this is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout ACC play. 44% of Fizz Nation agrees. They put six moderately worried after that horrific loss to Pittsburgh. But, yeah, it, it's one game. The game was, was horrible. Like, you, you can't make any – I think everyone's on the same page there. But at the same time, it's, it's one game, and – a convincing, commanding win, let's say tonight against Georgetown, erases that memory pretty fast. 
Next Fizz feedback is who should be the first forward off the bench, Woody Newton or Robert Braswell? Hmm. Well, I think it should be Woody Newton. I think we're both we're both on board with that. But I think I think Fizz Nation's rocking with us on this, but I think I think it's going to be really close because one it's pretty easy to sway fans' opinions with one game. So do you have a, a percentage? Are you saying a slight a I'm close gonna victory go, for Woody? I'm going to go 60-40 Woody Newton. Okay, a pretty good job by you. It's 64% for Woody Newton, 36% Robert Braswell. I, I, I don't think it should be that close. I mean, in the minutes Woody Newton has played, you throw the last game out the window, and the if you take the full body of work, that, that shouldn't even be close. Next Fizz Feedback, third and final. Who leads the Orange in scoring this Saturday against Georgetown, Alan Griffin, Buddy Beheim, Quincy Garrier, or other? Hmm. I don't know. Something something tells me that it's going to be Alan Griffin. I, I have that feeling bubbling inside of me. However, I could see Syracuse fans wanting Quincy Garrier to bounce back and have a strong game. So I'm going to say... The fans pick Quincy Garrier. However, I believe it's going to be Alan Griffin. You got it on the fans. 38% of Fizz Nation going with uh, Quincy Garrier. And then it's pretty pretty much nothing between Griffin and Beheim. Griffin's at 28%. Beheim's at 27%. You know what's wild, Ian? Alan Griffin is now Syracuse's leading scorer, not Quincy Garrier. It, it just doesn't feel like that, but that's what happens when you you throw up a dud and Garrier scored three points. Although Griffin also, he, he had a goose egg against Northeastern. So both of them have had these kind of wild instances of, of uh, low scoring outputs. It's been that kind of weird season. Syracuse has only played eight games and it, the college basketball season started way back in what the Thanksgiving week. And we're, we're now in the, we're in the new year. It, it's, been, it's been a wild ride so far, Gil, but I think, I think this Saturday is the day for Syracuse to get back on track. I would expect a win against Georgetown, hopefully by at least seven or eight points. But I think it, it comes down to the shooting. And I've, I said this last time we were on the air. If the shooting is not reliable, Syracuse is going to continue to lose these games. We need another BC game from Syracuse tonight to get some juice back in this team before they get back to conference play. I agree. And I think Syracuse needs to, needs to drive more, but I agree. Hey, Alan Griffin assist to turnover ratio, 25 to 25, but you want him taking over point guard duties in, in place of Joe Girard? Well, Gil, I mean, Joe Girard hasn't exactly been like Steve Nash out here either. He's averaging four assists per game and three turnovers per game. So at that point, I'd much rather give it to Griffin, who is, he's been more efficient from the field. He's shooting at a better clip from three. And he's the guy, ultimately, that Syracuse is giving the ball to late in games. He's got that clutch factor. So at that point, why not rock with the guy who's going to be taking the biggest shots? Tough sell for me, but I appreciate the creativity, Ian. That'll do it for us here on Fizz Radio. Thanks so much for listening. Same time, same place next week. Check us out, orangefizz.net. Enjoy the game tonight, everyone.